Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Good News Ministries of GNM.org. It's the Catholic place for faith builders. You'll find daily good news reflections on the scriptures of Mass, written by Terry Modica, to help you in your everyday life and struggles. Visit GNM.org today. Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com, featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith, not just a profile picture. For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com, and the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website is ready to help single Catholics take the next step in sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics. Remember, CatholicSingles.com, for faith, fellowship, and love. Welcome to the Champions Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rubin and Coach Phil. The podcast where we share stories of faith being activated through sports. Welcome, 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 welcome back to the Champions Podcast. We are so excited to have you guys joining us. If this is your first time listening to the Champions Podcast, we interview college, professional, current, and former athletes and coaches and have them share their faith journey with us. Last week, we shared part one of our interview with former LSU soccer player Mo Isom. And today, we are going to share part two of the interview. Guys, this is a phenomenal interview. Most testimony is unbelievable. The things that God has done in her life, the journey that he has taken her on is incredible. Very few of us may listen to most podcasts and be able to identify with the entire thing. It's that extreme of a testimony. However... There are amazing parts of her testimony that I think every single person can cling on to and can say, okay, I can relate to that part. I can relate to that part. So if you did not listen to the first episode, I encourage you, please go back and listen to last week's episode. Mo shares just a fabulous part to the beginning of um, her journey. She shares about her freshman year at LSU and the high of the mountaintop she was on and then the extreme low of the valley that she found herself in. And so where we pick up this week is Shannon, my beautiful wife, and my guest co-host last week had just asked Mo a question about what that moment was like when her relationship with Jesus became real, when she actually met him for the first time, where it was not just uh, knowledge, but in absolute intimate relationship where he just captivated her heart. And so Mo answers that and she goes into a lot of other details uh, and just shares a lot more about her story. At the end of the podcast, we are still going to have a coach's corner, so we're excited to share that. But guys, buckle up for part two of our interview with Mo Isom. So I, you know, I hear you talk about growing up in a Christian home and this faith by inheritance. And so I'm just curious, um, what was the moment like when you actually met Jesus for yourself? You know, because I, I can identify with that, you know, growing up in a Christian home and, oh, well, we go to church because that's what we do on Sundays, you know, and um, right. I know a lot about God, you know, but what was that moment like when you actually met Jesus and you're like, wow, like, I, I'm in this, I'm in this for real? Yeah, that's such a great question. My my encounter with Christ truly was pretty radical. I was at a very, very broken place. It had been, like I said, about a year since my dad had died. And it, for me, had really been a year of depression, of anxiety, of promiscuity, of partying, of any sin-sized piece I could find to fill the God-sized hole in my heart. I, I indulged in. And it left me so battered and so tired and so wounded and really at a place where I understood why my dad did what he did and I saw it as a viable option. It would be easier to just give up. That's really where my, my head was at. I was so tired of 
faking sign and, you know, wearing this mask for the world to see, acting so okay and strong and, you know, whatever it may be, yet really knowing I was wounded. There was a hole that nothing was filling. I was trying everything, sure, but nothing was actually really filling this hole. And so Jesus found me, I would really say, in my in my pit, um, and I was heading down the interstate. I was driving at 1.30 in the morning, so I was trying to get home from Louisiana to Atlanta. I'd been stuck in some traffic, and I was heading home on the interstate really probably at my most, my, my darkest moment of resentment, of anger, of everything just boiling, you know, just building up. I needed this, like, I needed this Thanksgiving break so badly because I just had to get away. And I, the cry of my heart really through that year had been, God, if you're so real, if you're so real, because all I'm hearing from all these people, you're the healer and the redeemer and the restorer, and I don't feel it. I don't feel it. I thought I got you. I thought that was like the dosages I got weekly growing up. I thought I knew you and what faith was and Jesus and all of this stuff, but nothing, nothing's working. Nothing's good. Nothing's helping. I don't feel any of what these people are saying. And so really the cry of my heart was like, God, if you're so real, do something for me specifically, like you have to reveal yourself to me. I have to know. And it, it's, it's, it's arrogant. It's, it's, it's me having missed him for years and years and years on end because of my own pride, because of my own blindness. It's all the things that, you know, we, we just need such a personal touch. But what, what I love about God is that he doesn't withhold personal touch. Mm, it's like, so I, I, I just had to come to a point of my own stubbornness, my own brokenness, and my own arrogance to say, okay, you know, if, if there's more here, I, I need you to, I need you to show me. I need it to be so obvious that even I can't miss it. And and um, the next thing I knew, my car was in like the center median of the interstate, and I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, totally caught off guard. My wheel is cranking and jerking, and I tried to pull it back onto the road. And shot straight across, hit an embankment, flipped my Jeep three times, and landed upside down in a ravine at 1.30 in the morning, very physically broken. And people hear that part of the story, and they're like, another piece of adversity, (laughs) good grief. But but it was hanging upside down in in that wreckage, God knowing the cry of my heart this year prior, that that was the time, the place, the circumstance that he chose that personal touch. And when I tell you the presence of a living God entered into that vehicle. It was as crushing. It's the majesty, the righteousness, the glory of God was as crushing as it was like soul resuscitating. I, the the Holy Spirit just poured in to that moment, into that vehicle, into my heart and it's so hard to explain um, because it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> it's just <laughs> the miraculous wonder of God that he literally, all it, all it takes is a whisper, mm. it, a whisper. It was a whisper. I, it was be still and know that I am God. Mm-hmm. Psalm 46, 10. And it was like, it was like suddenly in this, in this vehicle, when I surrendered to that, because you can't miss it if God encounters you. There's no missing it. Like yeah. <laughs> it's Amen. overwhelming. It's as personal as it comes. It 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 it, it turns a murderer into a righteous man. Mm. It turns the it turns the promiscuous girl into a, a pure creation. It's like mm. there's no missing it when he encounters your heart. And really he just began to download the depths of the gospel into my heart. It was profound. And there was I guess the greatest way I can summarize it and the difference between the two was suddenly that gospel that I had heard 10,000 times over growing up in church, but was in one ear out the other or was surface level or was cultural. Suddenly it was very much humanized to me. It was very personal in that Jesus had not died on that cross 
uh, for my sins. He had died on that cross because of my sins. He had had to take that cross because of my sins. And it was when, when we allow the gospel to become personal and we understand what was done on our behalf, I'm just preaching a whole sermon right now. I'm yeah. Come on now, don't stop, don't it stop. Just, it becomes very intimate. It becomes very real. And you suddenly are humbled enough, stilled enough to hear the still, small voice of God. God is never a, well, I won't say never. There's certain circumstances and times, of course. But I find that rarely is God need to have some megaphone in our face screaming and booming his voice to prove himself. He is almost always the quietest voice in the room. And what he calls is our spirits to listen for the sheep, to know the voice of the shepherd, Mm -hmm. for our hearts to be in tune with the spirit of God, that he doesn't have to force himself. It's our, it's our choice to, to listen, to know, to love, to walk, but he's there and he's present and he's um, his grace is sufficient and it's never, going to leave us or forsake us. It's never going to fail us. And it's like when I got still enough uh, physically, because I was upside down in a vehicle that couldn't move, (laughs) but also when my soul, my spirit finally stilled itself enough, it was the most beautiful voice I had ever heard. And it's never left me from that day. And it never could allow my faith to go back to a disconnected cultural Christianity, when I know it is a relationship with a very real living God who has a lot to say to me and a lot I need to learn and a lot he wants to do in me and through me. And it's just really beautiful, I think, to walk in that intimacy um, because life just changes. Life becomes really different (laughs) and uh, you live with a lot more purpose and a lot more hope because you know that there is someone greater with you, who gave his life for you. It, it makes repentance and, and not and easy. There's no hesitation mm-hmm. to repent, to ask to be forgiven, to walk in obedience. It makes faithfulness just um, an, a no-brainer because he's been so faithful and kind to us first. Amen. That's just, a. I, I love that. I absolutely love that. And I love that you said that Jesus found you because I just yeah. believe that you know, and that's what it is. That's what the gospel is. It's God pursuing us, you know, and yes, you did ask him, you know, you asked him to show himself and to reveal himself. And I believe that he's always faithful to answer that because that's what he wants to do. You know, like he wants us to know him in that way that you just described that intimate way so that all Mm -hmm. of a sudden the gospel message, that good news is so real to us. And I just love how you describe that. That's just incredible. I think so often too of the Samaritan woman, it's like, it's like the journey that Jesus and his disciples were on had no business routing through Samaria. They were the, they were the unclean, the taboo, the Jews nose up at the Samaritan people. They were like considered the mixed breed. They were what we would look at now um, as the ones who think there's no shot for them. There's, there's no hope. They're the rebels and the sinners and the wanderers. And yet when Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman in John 4, they detour that way to go through that area because this is who Jesus is. The world says, skip that town, you know, move past that group of people. And Jesus is like, actually, I think we'll go rest right there. Mm-hmm. I think we'll go draw water. And I think we'll go eat right in the midst of that because this is who I came for. And you know, he, he, he meets the, the Samaritan woman who is, uh, <laughs> I'll keep my words gentle, but she's a promiscuous <laughs> woman by all accounts and out drawing water at high noon to avoid being around anyone because her reputation precedes her. And this is who Jesus seeks out and finds. And you can read in John 4 his encounter with this woman. And if you actually look at the totality of the Gospels, it's the first person that he gives permission to, to evangelize. This is when he releases news that he is the Messiah. Mm-hmm. He's been performing miracles. He's been encountering people. He's been healing and delivering and all of these things. But it's the, it's the broken woman at the well that is mm. the first person. He says, all right, go tell him who I am. Mm. I'm not just a prophet. I'm not just a great teacher. I'm the son of God. And I, 
I found you and I redeem you. And so go tell them what I've done for you. And many come to believe in response to that whole exchange. And I just think it's beautiful because Jesus was a troublemaker and a rebel finder and like (laughs) did nothing orthodox to the world. And that's what he continues to do. And I just, I'm grateful for it. That's so good. And honestly, I've been a believer for um, about 12 years now. And uh, I remember early in my walk, somebody said to me, watch what you ask God for. Be careful what you ask God for, because he will answer. He will answer. You know, and honestly, that that has stuck with me. And I think a lot of times, you know, we want a safe, cushy, comfy life. You know, and so it's like, Mm -hmm. God, do these things as long as it doesn't uh, it, it doesn't give me a storm in my life or give me turmoil or stress or anything like that. But it's being at that place where you're just like, God, you know, like your book was titled wreck me, wreck me. And whatever that looks like, I mean, you know, in your case, it was a physical car accident, you know, but in whatever it takes, God, we have to come to that place, you know, where we're okay with however it looks. We just want that result, you know? And so that's what I'm, I'm so humbled by your story because you were, you didn't, you know, I don't know that you knew what was going to be coming, but you know that that's the place that you were at. You were you were just desperate for him. You were desperate yeah. for him. Yeah, and I, I would say on the other side of the, of the equation too, and something we have to wake up to as a, a culture as well is that um, the uh, one of the, <laughs> the greatest schemes of the enemy, I would say, in numbing us and distracting us is really by virtue of not allowing much adversity to come at all. Yeah. Because it's often in our greatest seasons of adversity that we realize our greatest need. Amen. And so one of the big issues we can see when we look around, especially in the American culture, is many of us are living in such comfort and such lack of struggle, in, which these are all blessings. This is great. You know, it's not to, to diminish any of those things, but we're so um, fine with the way life has gone, we don't even really understand a need for Absolutely. God or for Jesus or to know that still small voice. And so it's interesting. You can look on both sides. I say, you know, Jesus is the, the rebel finder. Well, he is also the one who confronted the, the self-righteous mm. and who um, revealed himself in that way too. And so I just think it's important you know, athlete, non-athlete, young, old, that every single one of us stops and looks at, oh, it doesn't matter if life has been easy. It doesn't matter if life has been more broken than anyone would ever understand. At the core, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Mm-hmm. And and He is the only way, the only truth, the only life, you know? And it's like, sometimes I think that comfortable life that hasn't had much trauma makes it even harder to come to God with need because you don't think you have much. Absolutely. Um, but we all kind of do in, in equal capacity. Absolutely. And so you've had this uh, experience, encounter, and you're physically going through a healing process, you know, while all the while processing what God has just revealed to you and shown you. So as this process is going on, I mean, are you just now an evangelist? Are you telling anybody with two ears what's happened, what, you know, what occurred or how are you, you know, there are some people that just kind of, they, they model the Christ-like walk just by how they live their lives. Some people, man, they just can't wait to tell the story. And so coming out of that, how, how were you? Were you just telling everybody? Oh, I was such a loud mouth. I'm not, <laughs> I was like... <laughs> I'm like the the Paul, I'm like the fiery, whatever direction I'm headed, we're going full steam ahead. And um, I I think with with that, you know, when I healed and recovered physically from that accident, when I got back to school, to me, to me, when you encounter the spirit of the living God, your life changes. It it can't not. Um, And so I moved back into school and initially I... I just kind of moved back into the rhythm of my former sin because I didn't even know what it would look like to live different. It's like, those were my friends. Those are my people. That's what I did. And so right out the gates, I kind of stepped back in with the same crowd. But what's so beautiful is when you have the Holy Spirit within you, 
conviction is nothing to run from. It's actually our greatest guide. And Mm -hmm. there was suddenly this new weight of conviction of this voice of God. I knew the things I was doing, the people I were with, they weren't edifying to this transformation that I'd just come to know. They weren't going to serve this new life that I was navigating through or this process of healing. And um, so that it was a quick season for me. And I think I was so um, enamored with the love of a God who had found me. It was, um, it didn't take much for me to say, okay, I got to step back and God, you, you need to start to wreck everything. This wreckage you brought was so good. I want you to wreck every angle, every layer, wreck my pride, wreck my insecurities, wreck my perspective on what's best for me, wreck through and rebuild. And as he did that, there was just, um, I mean, when you walk with him day in, day out, at least for me, there's just a boldness you carry because you see his hand every day when you allow it to move and rearrange things in your life. And I personally just couldn't, I couldn't stay quiet about it. And so I, um, I was very vocal. I started sharing with anyone really who would listen about this grace I'd come to know. A lot of people on campus had heard about the car accident, obviously, because it had, you know, I was a, a a big athlete on campus and in a very serious wreck. And so it sort of opened the door for me to share. Yeah. But guess what else? <laughs> you know, like, Guess what also happened when I broke my neck? And so it's like, um, for me, it sort of evangelism, I guess was, um, was my knee jerk just because of the way I'm wired. It, it's not for everyone. Um, I know that I, there's many different personality types, but I also think that, um, when we've encountered the beauty and the love and the grace of God, uh, it can't help but open our mouths. Like there's a, there's a famous quote that says like, with your life, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Mm, And it's, it's never totally set fully right with me. I understand it because our lives, our obedience, our love, our transformation will preach the gospel, but also um, there's, there's, clear and articulate and beautiful truth in the fact that our lips were made to also. And, and so it's like, no, use words, find the courage, find the courage <laughs> to help teach and to share and to, you know, if you had the the cure for cancer, would you just never say a word about it? Absolutely. And so I'm, I'm on the vocal uh, side of things and, and was right away. And it was really hard, honestly, for a while. It really isolated me. I lost almost all of those friends that I had kind of run with before because I didn't want to, I wasn't willing to serve the sin in them anymore. I didn't want to do what they wanted to do. And so they moved on, you know, to people who did. And yeah. um, I, it was definitely a season that was tough. And I think a lot of young people probably listening, it's one of the scariest things of like, what would this faith walk cost me? Does that mean I don't get to go to the same parties? Does that mean I don't get to hang with the same people? What is that? We start looking at the like, wait, what am I going to have to give up? Yeah. But my heart just fixed itself on like, it doesn't matter because look what I gain. And, and I just started just letting God wreck through every piece and kind of rebuild. And it was amazing because I lost some friends and then I gained unbelievable family. I gained community of people who in FCA fellowship of Christian athletes were, were Mm -hmm. focused on the same things and were, yeah, walking after the same truths. And that became, those became my people. It was like, that's so faithful to, to, to restore what's been lost or taken. And um, some, some seasons are hard, but they're not forever. And, and he's just faithful to bring about blessing. And um, I just started, yeah, walking that way and sharing my story. And that's, how I now stand on stages in front of 15,000 people, not because I ever planned it, but because I was willing to stand before an eight-year-old soccer team of six people and tell my (laughs) testimony. You know, it's like, it's just all of our yeses and God will Mm. entrust more to those who are faithful with, with what he gives them. And that sort of is where I am, has led to where I am today. It's where it started was back there just sharing, sharing the gospel and sharing testimony, because that's where there's so much power. Absolutely. Yeah, I wanted to, you mentioned getting involved in FCA, but I was wondering, um, who did you seek out 
to help you navigate through that transition. You know, you're finding yourself um, not wanting to hang out with these old friends because of what they're doing. And now you, you know, have a different life. And um, Mm -hmm. who did you seek out to help you navigate? You know, what do I do now? Who do I hang out with now? Yeah, that's what was kind of beautiful. And for me, just showed uh, the same Jesus that we talked about before, who actually finds us. Um, I didn't know who to seek out. I didn't know where to go or what to do or what friend group to find. It was the beauty of, and again, it was through the ministry of FCA, but it was the beauty of those people seeing and watching and praying for and loving me far in advance that they found me Mm. in a, in a lot of capacities. They, reached out or they started coming around and um, sort of in my season of like, okay, wreck it all and rebuild it. God, I was, I was okay alone for a bit because he was doing a lot of work and I was needing to process, but these um, just a few really faithful friends, even now that I hold to this day started finding me, flagging me down on campus, you know, reaching out, shoot me a message on Facebook, whatever it may be. And, you know, come to find out they were Christ followers who were, hearing that I had encountered Jesus and loved it and, um, you know, wanted to encourage it in me. And um, that's how that community really grew. I think there's beauty and power in seeking those things out as well. I think, you know, going to campus ministries or finding your friends who you know are believers as well, you know, that teammate on your team who maybe you haven't been so close with all these years, but now suddenly everything's changed for you. And you know, that's the life they've been living. It's like, intentionally surrounding yourself with like-minded community is so important. Um, But it just so happened in my story, it it really actually found me. God was just really faithful to bring that my way. And um, I could see the difference in them versus the people who I had, you know, run with before. What do you say to this? You know, you do a lot of speaking now and you're speaking all over, you know, what do you say to the student, whether it's an athlete, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, whatever, but, you know, who hasn't had that quote unquote wreck in their life. Do you know what I mean? And, and Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're just finding themselves in, in uh, just a cycle, you know? And so they're not seeking that community. They continue to just do church on Sunday and check off the box and still run with the same friends. I mean, you know, you hope it doesn't come to a a wreck in their life, but like, what do you say to them to kind of help encourage them that, that there's some, God's got something better planned for you right now. Um, well, first I smack them upside the head. That's always beneficial. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, no, you know, well, first off, I truly say, praise God that no great hardship has yet come your way. Um, praise God for his protective hand, for his grace, for his mercy over your life and, and all of the ways that he's guarded and kept you so far. And, you know, you look at John sixteen thirty three, which is a promise in the word that says in this world, you will face trouble. Yeah, you will mm-hmm. face trouble. Yep. Um, but it, it follows with a second promise of but take heart, have courage. I have overcome the world. And so Amen. in light of a scripture that assures adversity, my my truthful first response to those people is, I hope you praise God for the fact that the storm hasn't found you yet, because all of us are going to walk through the storms in yeah. some capacity at some time. And um, there's, there's, there's beauty in having not encountered it yet. But I also would just encourage those individuals, and that's not to scare them, um, but it is to encourage them in saying like, man, armor up now, Mm -hmm. you know, find when you have the the, the mental clarity and the space and the time, armor up now, because at the core, every individual, we're not just here, we're his. And we're made with purpose. We're knit together with the very nature of God stamped into us. Everyone's heart knows the voice, the language of the creator. And so many may say, I don't, you know, don't need it, not worried about it. Um, you know, I'm fine doing what I'm doing. It hasn't, it hasn't backfired on me yet. There hasn't been great consequence yet. Yet I was that girl when I was um, in several seasons of my life 
And yet I knew the emptiness that I fell asleep with at night and the hold that was there. Like I knew the, the weight of the pressure and anxiety. I didn't tell people around me that I was dealing with it. I didn't, you know, seek counsel and help or whatever it may be. I was prideful and thinking I'll figure it out, but we're still made by the same creator and we still know when there's an absence from him. And it's that struggles when you're falling asleep at night, wondering what you're worth. It's the, you know, you act like, Oh, this is fine. This dating relationship right now. And we're doing X, Y, and Z. And it's the, it's the falling asleep at night, knowing that um, it's not fulfilled, that there's still something missing that even the physical connection, your boyfriend can give you, it doesn't doesn't measure up at the end of the day. I just find in every person, in some angle, there's a knowing yeah. that there is more, and there's a longing for that more. And so I think it's important when we're when we have those people in our lives, or when we're loving them well, to truly know them, to listen to them, to ask them hard questions, so that you can find that piece of the puzzle that you're like, there it is. That's what it, it's the divorce from their parents that they're struggling to, you know, move through and forgive. It's the, it's the X, Y, or Z. It's the place in everybody where there's a knowing there's something missing and there's a longing for more. And if we can love people and be present enough in people's lives that we can identify where that spot may be, we can start to pour and speak truth into it. Well, Hey, I know your parents divorced and that left you really wounded, but I personally have come to know a perfect heavenly father. Yeah. And that God's more than just you showing up to youth group acting like everything's fine, but he actually really wants you to know that you're his daughter and that he loves you. And that, you know, it's like finding that in and being able to speak truth into it, I think could really help. If someone had found me when I was resentful of the pressure, though I was acting like the great athlete on the surface and had spoken in the audience of one thing 10 years prior in my life, it might've changed some stuff, you know? And so it's like, I just think seeing and knowing people is important in the equation of really finding where the gospel can impact them the most and then just connecting with them and loving them that way. That's beautiful. I love scripture and I love how ingraining it on our hearts equips our tool belt for the journey that we go through. And so through your various journeys that you have gone through, have there been any scriptures that have just kind of stood out to you that maybe hearing you share them, uh, our listeners could, you know, use them in their tool belts. Of course. Yeah. There were, there were several, especially just in the, in the throes of my testimony that really impacted me. Um, Psalm 46, 10, the, the be still know that I am God. That was a profound one. Truly sitting around that. No, know that I am God. Um, that was a really big one. John sixteen thirty three. in this world, you will face trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That was profound for me. And then Romans five, three through five um, is really interesting. It, it's uh, semi sociopathic and that's okay. It calls us to rejoice in our adversity, yeah. knowing adversity will produce perseverance, perseverance will produce character and character will produce hope and hope in the Holy Spirit never fails us. And John, or I'm sorry, Romans 5, 3 through 5, that scripture I just decided was probably the most profound for the longest stretch of time and continues to be because it's this crazy call that makes no sense that in the hardest stuff and the messiest stuff, we're actually invited to rejoice, not to not feel, not to not grieve. Goodness, again, we don't have to be sociopaths here, but at the end of the day, we have the room to rejoice because we know God is doing a good and faithful work through even the hardest stuff. And I just, I just love that. And it's so true. And it's, it's been proven true in my life over and over again. So it's really sort of one that sits on my heart often. And it's what, you know, it's one of those verses that, you just think of people that, that haven't had the – or at this point don't know the Lord or aren't walking with the Lord that when they face adversity, man, we have that hope to cling to. And it's just – you know, for those that aren't walking with the Lord, I just – you know, my heart breaks for them because they don't have that hope. You know what I mean? And now it's why yeah. why is this adversity happening? And not that we can always answer the why, but we can always know – who's in control and who our comforter is and, you know, where our hope lies. And so that's, that's so good. And I think it's going to be so beneficial for so many people to hear. And, 
I'd be remiss if I didn't have you on here and talk about your experience trying out with the LSU football team. Can you tell us a little bit oh, about that? Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah, so I realized um, going in, so I had been walking with Jesus for a while, had really been moving in a lot of healing and just letting him guide my steps and realized going into my senior year of soccer uh, that every student athlete actually gets five years of eligibility, um, but only four in one sport. So it's like um, only four competitive seasons in one sport. So it's basically like when you campus, you, you have a five-year clock to play out four seasons. Um, so it takes into account if you have to redshirt or whatnot, but I realized this headed into my senior year, I had not had to redshirt. I wasn't going to have to. So it struck me that I had this fifth year of eligibility that I, um, you know, could potentially explore. And it was really uh, just like almost a little drop in my spirit from God of, um, I want, I want you to pursue playing football. And it made sense, I guess, on the surface. Again, I'd been recruited for my leg strength. I Soccer and football had always trained. We trained in the same facilities. And I'd always messed around with the guys, loved the team, had good friendships. We'd punt. We'd kick around some. But, like, never serious. It was just sort of playing around. Um, but had built a reputation and was respected, you know, in the weight room and, and within the facility because I was – had been had been going at this thing with soccer for a while and um, was just a very serious athlete so it still though was a little um, gut punchy when um, I, I received that in my apartment I was like um, do you mean American football Lord because <laughs> I don't want to die so I don't know <laughs> I don't know what that looks like I didn't know like in what capacity but it just kind of came into clarity that uh, I had you know, the ability to kick and it was just sort of an invitation from God that had no clarity for me on what the outcome would be. It was just a step into faithfulness of this is what I want you to do. And I'm not really going to explain why, but are you brave enough to do it? And will you be obedient? And so I really started praying like, okay, God, if I'm hearing you properly, um, then if this is not of you, close a door. Like, just close it, Yeah, you know, somewhere in the process. I'll be faithful in sort of moving through the steps here, but I don't even know, I don't even know who I call first, like, much less how this plays out when I still have a whole senior year. And I wouldn't even be able to compete until the following fall. My eligibility would literally only stretch to the football season, and I'd have to be in grad school. I didn't know any of what the answers were going to be. <laughs> And so I just started the process. I called one of the players who was a friend, expecting him to shut it down. He was so excited. He was like all for it. And so he, you know, gives me the number for the next person to call. I just started pinging around players to strength coaches, to positional coaches, to football administration, to finally next to Coach Miles on a treadmill or on an elliptical Um <laughs> And had just had open doors the whole process through. Wow. And so I remember being on the elliptical next to Coach Miles and, you know, bringing it up to him and sharing that, you know, all these different people had, had given their thumbs up. But he, obviously he was the person who I would need permission for him to even pursue this because at that point I'd realized it was going to be about 22 months of just training with them and before I could even try out. You know, and, ha and half of that was going to be while I was still playing soccer and what would that even look like. But just telling him what was on my heart. And I loved his response because he was like, first off, he has daughters. And so he was excited about it. But also his response was, don't think you're going to get any special treatment because you're a girl. Don't think you're going to just be brought on the team because you're a girl. If you can prove that you have an asset that can contribute to this team that is different than or supersedes what our current players have, then you, you'll make the roster. But you're, you're going to train for, you know, 22 months first. Like, wow. it was nothing was ever handed over. And um, I loved that because I didn't want that. I wanted to see if I could push myself to this, you know, level. And it was really cool. Um, I really was very afraid of what people on the outside would think who had no connection. I knew what people on the inside thought. 
the team was supportive. The coaches were supportive. I had great friendships. I knew how to carry myself amongst that type of athletic environment because I started lifting weights with them, kicking with them. I mean, training with the, with the guys. Um, but I was afraid of what people on the outside would think because usually people who have the least knowledge of a situation have the loudest opinion. Absolutely. So I, uh, we, we actually navigated. I trained with them for quite a while, maybe, maybe almost a year without anybody knowing, um, which I loved. And then suddenly a, a reporter kind of was coming through football ops one day when I was kicking with the guys and kind of broke the story. And that's when the Ellen show and all of that happened and it just exploded and it became its own kind of whirlwind. But it was, um, it never lost the heart of where it began of God's called me to it. And I don't know what for, but I'll each day I'll show up and I'll try. And I don't even know what the answer is going to be in the end. And, it's really cool to see all that God taught me in that time to see um, guys come to know Jesus in that time to see um, great relationships built and to just kind of push myself as an athlete, but also push myself as a person in steps of faithfulness when now the whole nation knows what's going on. And so if the answer is a no for you, it's going to be very humbling. Yeah. And if the answer is yes, are you going to be able to carry yourself humbly? Mm. And it was just a real, it was real cool. It was a learning curve. And um, I don't, I don't regret that season a bit in the end. When I had first started trying out with the team, there were two specialists on the roster and one was about to graduate and over 22 months with transfers, with walk-ons, with, you know, incoming freshmen, there were eight specialists on the roster before I could even try out. So I tried out, I had, I had a strong tryout, but ultimately, you know, I only have a couple months of eligibility and um, I could hit a 53 yard field goal, but so could the starting kicker. And so it was, um, it was one of those deals where they only have a certain number of roster spots and I was strong, but not stronger than the starter. And that was understandable to me. So the answer was a no after all that work and it was crushing and I ate a lot of ice cream and slept a long time and <laughs> cried a lot. But in the end, it was so cool to see what God had done through the process. And I don't know if I would have done that process if I'd known it wasn't going to pan out how I dreamed. So I'm glad I didn't know because the process was important and I learned a lot in it and it was a cool season. That's awesome. That's an incredible story. And I think sometimes, you know, when, and uh, my wife and I, Shannon, we're in a season of this right now. And I think sometimes God asks you to uh, to be obedient about something. God calls you to something. And sometimes it's not about the end result. It's about were you yeah. willing to step out of the boat? Were you willing to step out of the boat? We, we don't know what the end result's going to be, but do we trust enough? Like I, sometimes I think he just wants us, wants to see our obedience. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. And that's what's. Um, it's, it's also, I think is what can help shift our perspective on the yeses and nos or the blessed the blessings. And then the seeming curses, it's like, we're so black and white about stuff. Yeah. But I think when we walk in obedience, we can really begin to understand that God uses all of it. He uses every bit of it. Amen. And so the nos can be words of direction, not of dismissal. And the, the process is the learning curve. It's where we grow in endurance. It's like we want to live this life where everything's an open door and a yes and a success, and it's just not the case. We fail far more often than we succeed. But if we can have a perspective, a mindset that God will use even these failures, then I think as athletes, as people, as husbands, as wives, as kids, our lives will shift when we know that he's in everything. And that, again, our identity and our worth aren't in the yeses or nos either. They're in him. He's just using the yeses and nos to reveal more of that to us. It becomes fun. It becomes mm. cool to walk in that truth. Mo, I am so thankful for you sharing your story, for uh, taking the time to be with us. We're going to transition into one of my favorite segments, Mo. It's called Eli Wants to Know, where my seven-and-a-half-year-old son, Eli, gets on here, and he asks a hard-hitting question that all of America wants to know. Mo, do you think you can handle this? I think I'm ready, Eli. I've, I've been preparing for this. I heard in advance <laughs> you were going to throw me a curveball. What do you have for me, bud? All right, E, you're up. What was your number in soccer? 
<gasps> How will I answer it? <laughs> <laughs> Eli, when I was playing youth soccer, I was always number one. And then when I went to college, I became number zero. And I declared that that was the number of goals I was going to allow because I was a goalkeeper. So I was, I guess, most known as number zero. That's cool. Thanks. <laughs> we had a debate whether we thought he thought your number was going to be one and I thought it was going to be zero. I thought it was going to be double yep. zero, actually. So um, thank you for settling the score. And uh, <laughs> Eli, fantastic job. Now we're going to transition to one of our other segments. And this is kind of where we allow the listeners to just get to know a lighter side of you. And we call it the three and out. It's the same three questions we ask every uh, person that comes on the podcast. And so, Sh Shannon, will you lead us in the three and out? Yes. This is one of my favorite segments. <laughs> what is the last book that you read? Oh, the last book I read um, is called Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. I am actually still in the throes of reading it, um, but that's probably the last one. It's been sitting on my bedside table for a bit. So clearly you can see what season of life I'm in, Shepherding yes. a Child's Heart. It's like a parenting book. <laughs> that or Second Kings, if you want to go the biblical route. Okay. That's what I think. All right. <laughs> All right. Next question. You're on a road trip. What are you listening to? Oh, um, okay, I right now would probably be listening to Hillsong's newest album um, or Passion Music's newest album. They both have two incredible new albums out of really great worship music. And uh, that's like our family's constant playlists are just really solid, uh, solid groups with great worship music. And then the occasional Disney Princess song because oh, my three-year-old demands it. So, Yeah. <laughs> Yes, Another in the Fire is on repeat in our house a lot. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. All right. And the last question. They're making a movie of your life. Who plays you? Denzel. <laughs> <laughs> he can't play a character wrong. I Denzel. Uh, <laughs> it might not fit. It might a little bit. No, some people have told me that um, they see resemblance with, uh, oh, who was, who was the Wonder Woman? Gal Gadot, um, the the woman who played Wonder Woman, they, they've told me we look somewhat alike. So she's incredibly gorgeous, and I don't know what people are seeing, but I'm going to go with her because <laughs> she seems like a rock star. So we'll say either Denzel or Gal Gadot, whoever makes it through the casting call. <laughs> That's awesome. And just tell our listeners, you know, right now, what does life look like? Obviously, your mom, you're speaking. When when you go around and speaking and, and speak, is it freedom? What What is kind of the topics you speak about? Is it different each church or are you speaking on freedom? Are you speaking on um, surrendering your life to Christ? Yeah, you know, it really depends. It's been really beautiful now about um, seven, eight years into ministry now and the ways that it's grown. When I first started, it was a lot of sharing my testimony, um, a lot of, you know, overcoming adversity and who Jesus is in light of, you know, some of our hardest struggles and that freedom that's found. Um, but it's really just evolved and grown, I think, as I've grown as a communicator, as well as just um, grown in, as a follower of Christ. And um, it's truly grown to a place of teaching. So, it depends on whatever the conference is, sort of the theme of the conference might build out the message or whatever God has been kind of teaching me or stirring in my heart in that season. Um, or, you know, rooting back to elements of, of womanhood or adversity or, um, like you said, freedom, but a lot of teaching to what it means to really boldly follow Jesus. Mm. Um what it means to really lay down our lives and to follow him. I feel like that's been a big surge of we're taking a little bit of a break from traveling right now, obviously with the baby coming, but, but right before we were really starting to get into digging in um, to the, the hard, but holy truths of what it looks like to truly walk in obedience. And 
um, pursue holiness, pursue godliness, and all of the really hard calls of scripture that we um, we dance around, but that we are truly called to lay down our lives, to repent, to turn from our sin, and to to pick up our cross and carry it and follow faithfully. And um, so it's been a it's been sort of a message lately. A lot has really been seeking um, that centers around that truth. What does it mean to be the bride of Christ? And um, to to keep our, our lamps burning and um, to, to walk in, in great obedience, even when it's hard and even when it hurts. So I love speaking into the stuff that makes everybody squirm. So let's <laughs> <laughs> like, we'll keep that train going. <laughs> and it's so needed, though. It is so yeah. needed. You know, it, we're, we don't need our ears tickled. You know, we need exactly. truth spoken. We need truth spoken. Exactly. And, and I, I would love to know what freshman year Mo would think if we told her what you were doing now, if we said, this is what you're going to oh, be doing. she wouldn't understand a word you were saying. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is obedience and holiness? Yeah. <laughs> She'd uh. be like, what are you talking about? But that's what I love is that we can, you know, we move through different seasons and different seasons of understanding. But God, God assures us in the word that, that what he begins, the good work he begins, he'll bring to completion. Amen. And I, I, we're in the, we're in the bringing portion of that sentence and i i love that it's a journey yeah so yeah freshman year mo would have cared less she would have been cleaning her cleats or you know (laughs) searching um tiger droppings to figure out what (laughs) uh sports gossip was being shared she wouldn't have been as tuned in um but yeah i love i love what god's doing he's he's bringing it to completion well we are so thankful for what god's doing and we're trusting that he's going to do incredible things with your testimony through this, uh, through through sharing it today, and we're trusting that the heart, the ears that hear it, that it just uh, gets ingrained in their heart, and that hope uh, for people that were feeling hopeless at the beginning of the podcast, that hope is restored, that they know that uh, through God, you know, they can find everything. God possesses every single thing that they need, and He is the only person that they need to turn to. And so we thank you for this. We thank you for your time, and uh, we are. Excited to celebrate you with you the birth of your third child. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me on and just the work that you're doing for the kingdom as well. I hope I hope listeners are blessed and I hope um, y'all just continue to get to cultivate good conversations and, and point people to truth. Oh, thank you so much. What a fantastic interview by Mo. Um, we were so blessed to have her. Like I said, there's just so much valuable information that she shared with us. Just her testimony was so incredible. We just saw so many ways that God has worked in her heart. And I just felt like she shared so many things that myself, you guys, anyone that listens to this podcast, that I just believe God's going to use it in phenomenal ways in our lives. And um, just an update, that podcast was that that interview was actually done a few months ago. And since then, Mo and her husband have given birth to a precious baby boy. Um, and so congratulations to them. I know they're enjoying life at, with their new addition to their family. Um, we, we just wish them nothing but the best. And And Coach, now we're going to go into one of my favorite segments, Coach's Corner. Coach, do you have any wisdom and insight to uh, share with us today? Well, Mike, it's always exciting to uh, share uh, what's on my heart or share what God is saying. You know, just recently talking about faith, and sometimes we run into people and you'll talk about your faith or just mention the word faith, and they seem to be just a little turned off by it. Uh, But, you know, it's impossible. The Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to, you know, it takes faith for everything that we do in our life. You know, faith is the substance of things hoped for. That's what the Bible says. So, you know, we can't play down. and, And actually, Paul said, this is the word of faith that we teach. It takes faith in every area. Whether you're a strong believer, a believer, a nominal believer, or no believer, everybody operates in some type of faith. Is that right? We just have to operate in faith. I was reading uh, just not too long ago, looking at you know Paul's letter to the Romans, and uh, talking about you know Abraham as the father of us all. He's the father of our faith. 
you know, Abraham, uh, the Abrahamic covenant is something that we live under today. And the Bible says in Romans 4, 17, it says, as it was written, I have made thee a father of many nations. That's what God said about Abraham. Before him who he believed, even God, who quickens the dead and calls those things that be not as though they were. It's interesting to me that Abraham uh, receives this call and he says in verse 18, who against hope believed in hope? Who against hope believed in hope? You have to think about that for a little bit, you know, because uh, there's not much going on in Abraham's life. When, when God calls Abraham and people don't even know how Abraham heard God. He comes from a, a, a family that's worshiping the moon he has no background in uh, in any type of Judaism, uh, but God calls Abraham. And, and the Bible says that Abraham, he says, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. See, according to that which was spoken. God said it and Abraham believed it. God said it and Abraham believed it what God said. You know, we talk to people sometimes, they'll say, well, you know, the first thing God created was the heavens and the earth. But, you know, and I don't want to question that or, you know, get into a uh, volleyball match over what he created first, but think about it. Before he created the heavens and the earth, God created sound. God said, and the vibration of what he said became. God said, and see, the Bible says here, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. I love that because it's according to what God said, not according to what he's looking at, not what, not according to what his surroundings are, but it's what God said to him. It reminds me of Joseph. Regardless of where Joseph found himself, God always raised him to a place of leadership because God, because Joseph always allowed God's word to be his motivation. In verse 19, the Bible says, And being not weak in faith, Abraham was not weak in faith. He considered not his own body, now dead. Here he is, 99 years old. He's not considering his body. He's not looking at, my God, look in the mirror. What, what do I see? There's no way. No, he's again, he's moved by what God says, not what he sees. And the Bible says, And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He wasn't even looking at his wife. You know, here she, you know, there's no way, Lord. You know, how can Sarah, she can't, I can't, she can't. What's the story here? But, but again, he's not looking at his body. He's not considering his circumstance, his situation. He's considering only what God says. And the Bible says in verse 20, he staggered not, there it is. He's not staggering at the promise of God through unbelief, but he's growing strong in faith, giving glory to God. Amen. That's a lesson for all of us, regardless of our circumstance, regardless of our situation, no matter what it looks like, if we'll continue to focus on what God says, we'll grow strong in faith. Amen. We'll grow strong in faith. We're going to say, we're going to commit ourselves to focusing on what God says. And that's pretty much what God says in Proverbs 4.20. says, my son, attend to my word before you do anything else today. I know you got a lot on your plate. I know you got a lot on your mind. I know you got a, a, a full schedule today. But before you do anything, attend to my word. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, I'm not staggering at the promise of God through unbelief, but I'm growing strong in faith, giving glory to God. Whatever happens today, Abraham says, I know what God said. I heard God's voice, and I'm not staggering, regardless of what it looks like, regardless of what my circumstance is, whether I'm, I'm the starting quarterback, whether I'm the fourth-team quarterback, whether I'm the starting pitcher, whether I'm in the rotation, I'm not in the rotation. It doesn't matter what it looks like. This is what God has said about me, and this is where I'm going to focus. I'm going to focus on what God says, not on my circumstance, not on my situation. And then verse 21 confirms that by saying, and being fully persuaded that uh, what he had promised, what God had promised, that God was able 
to perform. See, I'm putting my trust in God. I'm putting my trust. And you can't separate God from his word. And Abraham is putting his hope. He's putting his trust. He's fully persuaded that God's going to do what he said he'd do. And so consequently, as a result of Abraham's faith in God, the Bible says, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Because you believe me, that's what God is saying back to him, because you believe me, I'm going to impute this to you as righteousness. And then I love what verse 23 says in Romans uh, 4. He says, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also. Hallelujah. For us also, to whom it shall be imputed if, there's a key word, if, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. See, Galatians 3.29 says, If you be in Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and an heir according to the promise. I'm an heir according to the promise. You're an heir according to the promise. If, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. And verse 25 says, who was delivered for our offenses. In other words, he was delivered because of our sin and was raised again for our justification. I like to say it this way. He, he died for our sin, but he rose to justify us. Hmm. Amen. Amen. And you know, four times in the Bible, four different places, three in the New Testament, once in the Old Testament, God says the just shall live by faith. The just. Who are the just? Those who believe that Jesus is the Christ. See, he rose, he died for our sin, but he rose for our justification. The just shall live by faith. It's a lifestyle. It's how I relate to my spouse. It's how I raise my children. It's how I do my business. It's how I do my finances. Living by faith is a lifestyle. So when I join the team, whether I'm the coach or I'm the player, and I've decided to put my trust in Jesus, I'm going to live by faith. Not based on what I do, based on what he has promised in his word. And that's where my focus is going to be. Magnify the Lord. When you're magnifying the Lord, you put the magnifying glass on God, it doesn't make the object bigger. It makes the, it doesn't make uh, the situation, it makes God bigger. Amen. You put a magnified glass on anything, it magnifies. It makes the object bigger. And God is so big and he loves us so much, but he wants us to understand as we journey through life that our trust, our hope has to be in him. It has to be in his word. You can't separate God from his word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And so as we focus on the Word of God, on the promise of God, the Bible says in Second Peter, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of His Word. I like to say it this way, through the knowledge of God's Word, God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. So let's begin again. Let's exercise our faith. Just like we would go to the gym and exercise a muscle group and continue to see that muscle group grow, let's begin to exercise our faith. Let's put our trust and hope in Christ in his word, and see the marvelous results that will occur. Thank you, Coach. And as always, you never fail to deliver. That was another phenomenal Coach's Corner. I think this has been a jam-packed episode, two-part episode, which uh, just between Coach's Corner and most testimony, I believe our hearts are full, and uh, it, it's just been an absolute pleasure to share her story with you. And so thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen. Mo kind of hinted at Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I myself am, am an area representative for FCA. And if you're not familiar with FCA, please take a moment and go on and, and check out. It's www.fca.org. FCA is a ministry where uh, our vision is we want to see lives transformed by Jesus Christ through the influence of student-athletes and coaches. And so we really gear to minister to the hearts of coaches because those guys are like institutions, those guys and girls. I mean, typically coaches are, are – 
are coaches for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, oftentimes even more. When you think about the amount of student-athletes that come through their program, it's incredible. And so look at all the athletes that they are going to have an impact on. Now notice, I didn't say positive impact. I just said impact. They're going to impact them one way or another. How they impact them is what's going to make the difference. And so as FCA, we try and come alongside those coaches. We try and minister to their hearts and then minister through them to the student-athlete. And then also there's that student-athlete component where we get student-athlete leaders who will lead huddles in their school. They'll lead Bible studies in their school. And it's a bunch of uh, student-athletes who we believe in the school system Student-athletes have been given this elevated platform, right? They've, they've been – they're typically the most dominant leaders, the most influential, um, the, the, the most popular. We believe that um, if we want to see hallways transformed and hallways change, that student-athletes, because of the platform they've been given, can be those change agents. And so that will, that's what, what we do through FCA. We minister to coaches. We minister to athletes. Not just at the high school and college level, but also at the community level, whether it's rec coach or travel coach. And if that sounds like a ministry you'd like to be a part of, we would love to have you come alongside and either pray for the ministry or to come alongside and financially champion the ministry. And one of the ways that you can do that is you can go to my.fca.org backslash Mike Rubin. And if you want to be a part of what God is doing here in South Central or South Central Pennsylvania, uh, we would so appreciate it and we would love to celebrate these only God things with you. And we trust God's gonna do a phenomenal job. Last year alone through FCA, forty five thousand people, over forty five thousand student athletes and coaches put their faith in Jesus in FCAs all throughout the world. And so that's an incredible thing to celebrate. Guys, we're thankful that you listened. Uh, we'd appreciate it if you left a, a review or a comment. You don't have to give it five stars. Just give If you loved it, throw five stars up there. If you didn't love it, uh, give us one star and give us a way that we can, that we can get better. Uh, maybe you know student-athletes or coaches that really need to hear this. Please share it. Uh, we look forward to our next podcast, which should be coming out next week. Until then, have a great day. This is international Catholic singer Anna Nuzzo inviting you to join me and Father Dan Cambra of the Marian Fathers on a select international tours Divine Mercy pilgrimage to Poland and the Czech Republic. It takes place in September of 2019 and we would love for you to join us. For more information, go to my website, AnnaNuzzo.com. Thank you and God bless. Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com.